You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. I'm Stuart Wright, and this is the Brickflix.com podcast. On this podcast, rather than critique or score films out of 5 or 10, or tell you what we love or what we hate, I sit down with the filmmaker and get them to give us an insight into the process of making their movie, what they discovered, what they learned, all those kind of things. Or I get to sit down with a horror film fan and get them to tell me five great British horror films that they think we should all take interest in. Either way, this podcast is provided totally free without any outside advertising. So, if you enjoy it, please make sure to subscribe in iTunes. And if you've got that bit more time, write me a review too. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Andy Collier. Hello, Andy. Hi, Stuart. Thank you for having me on. It's my pleasure, my pleasure. Do you want to tell us what the t- title of the film is that's got us connected over these many thousands of miles? Uh, yeah, the, the film's called Carrie's Martyr, and it's playing uh, at the East End Film Festival. It's its London premiere, which is next Thursday, the 26th of April. That's very exciting news. Very exciting. At, at the time of recording. Indeed. Well, it's, it's still going to be the 26th of April, whether it goes out. <laughs> yeah. Unless you know something I don't. Um... Uh, it, it might be last Thursday, the 26th of April, at some <laughs> Fair dues, fair dues. Do you want to give people um, a brief synopsis to what the film is, so they know what they might be going to see? Um, yeah, it, it's it's uh, a psychological horror about a police detective whose sanity be- begins to unravel and whose world starts to fall apart as she investigates some kind of brutal, occultish serial killings. So and it's kind of it's, yeah, and it's kind of we really referenced uh, Angel Heart, the yeah. the uh, the Mickey Rourke film, and, and also Polanski's Apartment trilogy. And it kind of the, the plots comes from Angel Heart, and the kind of the main character in the story is really Apartment trilogy. You know, and our thinking was if we homage or rip off two two things from you know several decades ago that we really liked that, you know, we might be able to make something that at least looks quite original. 
And if nothing else, interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it seems to have worked out quite well. That's so that's good. Good to hear. So, so then, if if those were the inspirations, then um, which is which is nice to get that up front. When when and then we should mention what what's the name of your, your co-writer co-director? Oh yeah, um, I write and directed this with with Tormian, who I work with quite a lot. Yeah, and you know it was really you know total collaboration. We we did everything together right from the origination of the idea to to shooting and post brilliant well we'll get into that how that works the collaboration i think that's always interesting to look at how people make what everyone seems to think is a very ego-driven sport actually reveal that collaboration is the name of the game um so let's start with um you're going okay i want to make angel art cross with the apartment trilogy um where where did the pair of you start with that blank bit of paper with the cursor blinking at you yeah. With okay. The, um, so, so, yeah. So I mean, we were. I mean, we both love horror, mm-hmm. and we were looking for a horror to make. Yeah. And we we mutually threw out twenty ideas, and then Tor said he's had this idea at the back of his mind for a while. Yeah. And he said he owed a debt to Angel Heart, and it was a police detective investigating some kind of ritualistic occultist killings, and the twist is that the murderer has some form of supernatural abilities, so it's kind of working. And I thought that sounded great, yeah. uh, but but my kind of comeback to that was I, I liked it, but rather than having, like, a tough cop who doesn't play by the rules, it, some kind of cliched cop thing, yeah. if we make the cop, if we make the main character this really kind of insecure, hypersensitive, unstable, you know, Catherine Deneuve, Mia Farrow character... Yeah. then it'll make the whole thing really interesting. And so he agreed with that. And then really, to, to, work, to work together, we start with the, you know, the highest, kind of highest level two-line log line, yeah. and then from there, agree the, the really broad story beats, and then from there, agree a detailed treatment in the scenes, and then go down and write the scenes. So we, we start from the highest level, and then go more and more and more and more detailed. Are you, are you always in the room together, or do you do this remotely? Uh, no, um, well, it's kind of mainly in the room together, and then yeah. you know, if, if when we when we're writing, we tend to leave it for a few days in between, and then we'll kind of phone or text and swap ideas that have you know come to us in a dream overnight. Yeah, yeah, but 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 we you know we sit together and argue and fight and disagree with each other until we find something that you know we mutually don't hate. Because what happens a lot is I have an idea for you know some element and he hates it. And he has an idea, which I hate. And then after you know, a week of threats and insults, we come up with something that's much better than either of our original ideas. So we agree that to keep that. So it's actually, it, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of challenging, but it, it gets to a better end result. How, how have you kind of worked that pattern of, of going through the strife to get to the good bit, which is obviously the the bit that ends up in your screenplay. Was that something you agreed before you set out? You said, look, we're going to argue, so let's let's do the debating over who's got the best idea because we're confident we'll get there. Or was that something you've worked out through collaborating with each other? Uh, it, no, it kind of, you no, know, it wasn't planned like that. I mean, the first time 
we actually, when was the first time we worked together? Yeah, I, I made a, a, a short film called The 17th Kind, mm-hmm. and Tor was assistant directing on that. Yeah. And, and and I wrote the script, and I sent it out to a bunch of people saying, please critique it. And yeah. people, and most people, even the industry, came up and said, oh, that's nice. You know, whereas <laughs> Tor, you know, you know, whereas that's, Tor a ter- wrote, that's a terrible script, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, whereas Tor came back and, and really ripped it to shreds, you know, and he gave, you know, I don't know, 100 criticisms of which, you know, 90% of them I said, no, that's nonsense, but 10% were good, you know, and, and kind of, and, and we carried on just like that, you know, in yeah. the same methodology that, you know, we aren't afraid to fight and insult each other. Now it's, it, never quite, it's never quite come to blows yet, but I'm sure it will at some point. But it's, but it's interesting that, because it's not uncommon... For for the for the writing partnership to involve a bit of friction to get to the thing, it's almost like both of you have to, have, or if there's more than two of you, have to accept that's going to be part of the ride. It's like how do you, how do you prepare yourself for that? Oh uh, yeah, I yeah, I, um, I think that's right, and I, I think you know this this charismata was the first thing we actually wrote together, yeah. and it, it, and I guess we've got fairly similar taste and we tend to like the same things um and so it's it's generally you know it, it generally resolves itself you know we've had mm. some quite bitter fights but it always works out you know works out well in the end you know and from a taste point of view i guess we we pretty much like the same movies uh you know even you know my favorite film of all time is the 13th warrior and i'm the one person i know who doesn't hate it sorry right. who, yeah who, who likes it and then Tor actually agreed when I admitted that, you know. Wow. And I think we're probably the only two people in the UK who don't hate the 13th Warrior. Well, in fact, look at um, you know, and so it's a taste thing. Nothing wrong with that. I'm, I've, I'm, I'm st- I fight in the corner for Ridley Scott's The Council on a regular basis. <laughs> right. And people, people don't tend to agree with me on that, but I don't care. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> in that sense, I can understand how with a log line and a, and a big beat and even a detailed treatment when you're not dealing with a big document, how the brainstorming can be quite fluid and you can like, oh, let's, that's not working. You know, you leave it a few days percolating and whatever. And the pair of you can begin to see different opportunities. But then when you go to commit to the screenplay, there's, there's like a change in everyone's mentality, isn't there? The minute somebody sees interior, exterior, suddenly, yes. suddenly something ex- like almost like, ex- even though it's only on paper, we can all begin to realize a physical space and a and a real character who's really, you know, getting up for breakfast and going to work and stuff. So, how do you divvy up the scenes you've designed in terms of? Because a treatment, um, a treatment does de- a, a, sorry, a screenplay will deviate in different ways. Maybe not, maybe not the whole journey, but part of the way it gets to the journey you want to go on. Inevitably, things change. So, how do you manage that in the? Drafting of the script from treatment. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, what 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 happened for Carrie's Martyr was, was that you know we we agreed without much friction actually. We agreed the kind of the beats and the treatment, and the friction came with with the more detailed screenplay and kind of how the characters that we'd sketched out would come to life, as you say. Yeah. You know, and and kind of the working practice that we had was kind of. It was kind of like Tor was the left brain and I was the right brain. Just, okay. you know, he'd be, sit, he'd be sitting on the computer doing the actual typing. Yeah. You know, whereas, you know, for, the, for this scene, I'd act out scenes and, you know, you 
protagonists lay down in the corner and pretend to be the various characters. Uh, you know, and you know, I maybe I'd say, you know, I I I just you know <laughs> improvise something which he would hate, and then I'd do another one and another one, another one, and then eventually he'd say that one was great. Say that again, and I couldn't remember what I just said. But basically, that that was the process. Right, and okay. that worked, you know, it was quite hit and miss, but it worked quite well. But, the, you know, then there, there were a few, you know, a few scenes where when it came to it, we had really different ideas. Um, and, and, you know, they didn't really become roadblocks. We just, you know, spent a few weeks with breaks, you know, working out a compromise. And then, as I said before, usually, usually we, we'd come up with, you know, if I had idea A, which Tor hated, and he had idea B, which I hated, then... After a few, you know, after some gap, one of us would come up with idea C that we both really liked. And so, you know, provide, you know, and I, I, I guess we had enough time because we weren't writing to any particular deadline. And I think that, I think, thinking back, I think the planning took three months. You know, we were doing other things at the same time. Of but course, we were of course, of, yeah. You know, we, we, over a period of three months, we, we, you know, got the real detailed story beats. Yeah, so that three then, months you're focused on it, you're not working on it 70 hours a week, but it's... No, it's no, of, no, it's no, of, no, no. It was like we'd meet up maybe a day a week. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. But, okay. you know we'd meet up and, and, and kind of push it forward and talk about what we thought about in the meantime. And then the actual writing, I mean, the first draft of detailed screenplay, probably, you know, the same kind of process. We, we'd meet up once a week to, to work on it. Probably took another two or three months, uh, so, so you yeah. wrote you, again as well as the brainstorming and developing ideas. You also then put put pen to paper for the screenplay while both being in the same room as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so very much like the Wilder and Diamond model, eh? Mm, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think well, it works really well. I, I, I guess there wasn't a, there wasn't kind of a main writer and and, and a secondary writer. It was although Tor did all the typing. Yeah. Uh, I'm lazy. He. You know, we, 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 you know we, we sat together and did it. What do you, I mean, you, you were talking about difference of opinion and what you thought might work or might not, but just generally speaking, what for the pair of you was maybe the biggest storytelling challenges and what you're trying to do? And I'm thinking specifically, because you're trying to ape something like the Apartment Trilogy, you're talking about trying to show what's going on in somebody's mind as they go mad. So how did you overcome the challenge of helping us see what's going wrong in someone's head? Um, yeah, that, that's, that's a good question. Now, I, yeah, I mean, how we planned that out, actually, there was, you know, I kind of stole an idea from, from an obscure short film that I saw, I don't know, 15 years ago, yeah. where somebody was having a breakdown and there was a particular kind of visual gimmick that yeah. they used to show that. Yeah. And I showed that to her. I said, you know, I think we can kind of weave that into the story. Yeah. And then, and actually that, that's, came quite easily you know I, I think we agreed we agreed on on the kind of the visual language of this film yeah and and then that wasn't a tough element it was it was it was more the details um that we that we thought about but i think the broad strokes and how we'd show the breakdown uh worked you know i think that came together really really easily for this film um i, I mean it was hugely 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 uh, Polanski inspired in the kind of the visual language in that we had lots of lots of composed static shots and the camera wasn't you know doing you know modern horror tropes of 
you know, jumping around and following yeah, characters yeah, around yeah. the house. You know, it was much more composed and much more static and, and kind of, and we decided that, you know, without any spoilers, the only time the camera would actually track or dolly or move uh, would be when something supernatural happened. And so lots of it is really still and composed. And kind of, we agreed that. So a bit, a, bit like, a bit like the way a novel functions, where you have the kind of, the long chapters where things are developing and then, and then the shorter chapters sort of like, duh, 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 this is where, yeah. this is where I want you to feel the energy and stuff. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I'm not sure whether people explicitly notice that's what's going on, but you know, I think subliminally, you know, there's when the camera does move and there's something more, you know, so, so, something more sort of exciting, if you will, going on. I think people kind of feel it. Well, I, th- I mean, it feels like we're in the right time now. It seems to be more and more people haven't, haven't, haven't got through the kind of found footage boom, bust, boom, bust that we keep going through. It's, it's nice when, when, when uh, people let the camera sit there and let us do the watching, you know, um, yeah. as opposed to let us pretend we're on, a, we're on a roller coaster and we try not to be sick, you know, yeah. which, which I, think, I think was a lot to do with people trying to... Sh- I guess test the technology. I suppose, in some sense, um, because because yeah, cameras just weren't that weren't that malleable, were they, in the past? So you just couldn't. Yeah, be... I, I think that's right. And all, and also, I think you know, at, at some level, you know, if if you don't, <laughs> if, if you go for shaky cam, it covers up a lot of sins. <laughs> so, so I think you know, it, you know, I, I, I think you know, sometimes sometimes shaky cam's deliberate, and sometimes it's it's an easy way to. You know, to shoot a film cheaply, really. You know, because... oh, of course, yeah, yeah, no, no, I understand. It's, it, 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 I mean, thinking of that, then, with with obviously budget, budget is a finite thing. How how did the pair of you balance? You know, the 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 infinite imagination you have and the constraints of a budget to make the film you can you can produce. Yeah, um, I think the budget was super tight, um, yeah. and um, we 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 took a huge risk in that you know. With micro budget horror, like most people would go for one location, two actors, you know, and make it a real kind of, you know, sort of one location piece. Whereas we wanted to do kind of the opposite. And I've not actually counted the locations, but we shot it all over London with quite a large cast of characters, you know, and we really kind of pushed the boundaries of what we could achieve for the budget. Yeah. yeah, really, the way we did that was, you know, every penny pretty much went into production value and so went to went on the screen, and therefore the stuff that happened behind the scenes was quite basic. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, it wasn't much fun. Um, but, you know, and, and to do that, we, we decided to cast entirely kind of unknown actors who were looking for their big break yeah um because you know had we accidentally cast somebody who was used to even working in soaps or something you know they're used to a certain uh standard of living on set you know yeah. whereas whereas you know if if we were sitting on boxes in a shed between takes and then the cast had to do the same you know and so we made that clear when we were casting and said look you know it might be quite uncomfortable yeah uh, but you know it, hopefully it'll be you know a good opportunity Indeed, indeed. So, so that's just just to give us an overview. What was what? How many how many days did you shoot this film over? Uh, it, it was quite a long shoot. I think it was I think it was thirty days, wow, something like that. that. That's not and a bad, then, not a bad run, is it? Yeah, yeah. And because we had so many locations, it tended to be you know, apart from the one main location, which was a horrendous 
World War Two bunker beneath the streets of Dol- uh, Dalston. Yeah. Uh, apart from that, you know, we were kind of two days, one day in each location. You know, so it was a really long shoot and really kind of logistically difficult and. You know, <laughs> and not what any sensible person would choose to shoot a kind of micro-budget film with. You know, I, I think doing it in one room with two actors is much more sensible, but we decided to do the opposite. Well, I mean, I had... I had um, oh, his name escapes me now. Uh, the writer-director of The Ghoul, which... Well, right. Well, I don't... I've not seen your film. That that was a micro-budget film that, again, didn't didn't over-rely on single locations. Admittedly, a lot of them, <clears> a lot of them were, the, were the classic... No budget movies of the the long takes and stuff in with people. Once you've got your location, you make sure you kind of your shooting time isn't isn't long. Um, yeah. How, how now? We've talked a lot about how you uh, tackled the sharing of the um, the writing responsibilities and how you collaborated. Then, what what was the, what? How do you, how do people, how do you co-direct? Um, but by by the time we came to directing, we've you know, we'd had enough arguments and we'd, we'd agreed to, you know, we'd, we'd agreed on exactly what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it. And so co-directing was quite easy in that, okay. you know, we could, it, and it kind of worked especially well given the budget and how ambitious it was in that, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, kind of shooting a film at the best time is a constant series of problems. And what actually tended to happen most of the time is one of us would be away fixing some, imminent disaster and yeah. the other one will be directing <laughs> you know, so, so it tended to be you know more of a directing relay than co-directing i mean occasionally we'd, we'd stand together yeah um and i think and also we we prepped the we prepped the dop and we actually had some time to rehearse with the actors oh, that's and so and so you know which people tend not to do at, at this budget level yeah. and, and you know which actually meant that Everybody pretty much knew what they were doing um, by the time we got to shoot, and therefore, so, so the actual direction was fairly easy, you know, and kind of. Well, what, it, what, it was, was your, what was your conversations like with your actors then about? I mean, you've obviously said you said, "Look, it's going to be a bit of a rough ride, but it will be smooth when we get out when the film's out on screen." But then, in terms of, we want you to do this, this, or this um, to give us this, this, or that. Um, what was your conversations like then with your actors? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, lots, lots of that was done in casting because we, we, we gave ourselves a massive amount of time to do the casting. Okay. And we, we, were, we were really specific on kind of backstory and character traits. Yeah. You know, and, and like, for example, like the hardest role to cast was, was the main character's partner. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, he's kind of a tough cop, but we really wanted some light and shade in there. And most people... You know, even when we said don't play it like a stereotypical tough cop, you know, who's, you know, sort of, you know, grizzled and, and, and you know, kind of world weary. But everybody did. No, there wasn't any light and shade. Right. And so getting somebody who could do what we wanted in casting, or which we did for all the roles. But, you know, that, that was a big focus. And so mostly people, the cast, when we came to shoot, mostly they, they kind of nailed what we wanted to do from a from a sort of mood and direction point of view the first time. I mean, occasionally we wanted different things to happen, in which case, you know, we'd have the usual conversations with the cast. But because we spent so much time in prep, it worked out really well. Okay, I mean, I mean, I don't know what people think listening to this, but just talking to you, um, A, you sound 
a very relaxed person and it, it reflects in how you just describe in the process of making it you know you, you you it doesn't ever feel like you were trying to push something like you're trying to push a triangle through a square hole do you know what i mean it's like you, the way you talked about the writing process the way you were talking about how the casting was helping make time in the future almost for when you're on set and stuff yeah. was you fully aware of that you were like putting these things in place and stuff and almost setting a setting a mindset for it or um yeah I, I and i actually think that comes from experience because you know it's it's you know a director when they're planning it can get one view of what they want the film to look like but as soon as you hand it over to actors they're going to bring their own you know th their own take on things yeah. and if you're fighting against them then you know it doesn't work out so well really so i mean so i think and this is what and tor agrees and this is how we, we ran it yeah. if you know you spend time to get actors so so that the the special you know that their, their personal kind of slant on the character works for you you know, and, and therefore you aren't fighting the actors mostly. I mean, we had a few small fights, but mostly it just works really well. So, so, I, so I it's like you're, in, like you're like you're empowering them to be that character rather than trying to get them to be a character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's like the opposite of giving people line readings. It's it's find somebody whose embodiment of that character works for you. You know, give them you know give them the direction that they need and and let them run with it. And for people who've not made a film and maybe are looking at it. Can, can you sort of, is it possible to quantify how you feel that kind of methodical approach before you go on set to start shooting actually made the 30-day shoot work? You know, in the sense of not panicking in the run-up, which, you, like you say, is gained from experience, but also using that time, because as I understand it and for the few sets I've been on, obviously time becomes money the minute the cameras are on set and everything's being, we're in production, so... That time before you're shooting is a lot cheaper, isn't it, for everybody? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I guess what somebody who's not shot a film before, I think they should start on you know a few a few small projects and realise that it's kind of Murphy's law. You know, everything that can go wrong will go wrong, and you know you need to do enough preparation that you can kind of set the wheels rolling, and hopefully they'll roll in the same direction because you'll be running around solving countless unexpected problems and that's just how it goes yeah okay well and then so with the um how how was shooting in london um because you don't sound like I a cockney really... you sound about as cockney as me <laughs> no yeah I'm, I'm from sheffield originally but i've been living in london for i don't know uh, 15 20 years okay. uh yeah and um, shooting in london and we shot this in, in 2016. Okay. Um, and it worked out quite well. I mean, I was speaking to our line producer a couple of months ago, and he said we could never have shot Carrie's Mortar now for what we did then. Because, for example, um, I think the various London boroughs are for, for filming permission, they used to see providing permits as a service, whereas, according to, to Dylan, the line producer, there's been a change of approach, possibly with austerity, and now they see it as a revenue earner. Yeah, so cash to shoot, Yeah, so to shoot in, in Hackney or Tower Hamlets, we, we were paying, I think it was 50 quid for a permit for a day, you know, whereas now it's apparently £500 a day. Well, do you know what? It's interesting you say that, because I think it probably was two years ago, I applied for a job at Acne Council for they, they took on somebody 
to be right. an location officer person, which I guess fits with that that logic of your locations guy, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it sounds like it. I mean, I, I, we've not tried to shoot there since, but but you know, Dylan's saying it, it's a completely different different game now. Well, that's. I mean, that also prompted the question, really, because I mean, mm. I understand that the you know, the, it's like anywhere. It's like if you, if you want to shoot in New York, you want to shoot in London, you want to shoot in LA. These are places that are, that are used to the film and TV industry. If you want to shoot in, I don't know, edges of Sheffield or you know Bradford or whatever, people people don't see people are just excited for something interesting to be happening. And I don't mean that in a patronising way. It's just that it's novel. Yeah. It just is novel. Yeah, yeah. And I know a few people who've, who've shot things in you know English villages, you know, kind of provincial places. I'm not so much Manchester or you know places where there are hubs, but you know out, out you know around Sheffield or, or mm. wherever. And and they get a lot of support and people are really helpful. Whereas you know London's much more blasé. And you know when we thought of shooting in LA in the past, and they're you know because so much happens there, they're kind of actively obstructive. You know, mm. and this, you know if you can't pay a ridiculous amount of money and also you know be held to ransom by the by the unions there, then you can't shoot there. Whereas whereas other places in the US have been much more production friendly because they're trying to attract people to shoot there. And there's there's another project that we're working on and we were looking to shoot in Utah or are looking to shoot in Utah potentially. Yeah. Uh, mm. And and from the Utah film office, you know, they give you tax credits, which are like 20% of Utah spend, which is nice. But, but, but the real helpful thing is those guys that, you know, they'll suggest locations and they'll help you find locations and they'll broker deals with, people to allow you to do stuff and they've been super helpful you know whereas that kind of doesn't happen in london no no, no, no it's if we shoot in sheffield do you want to is there any way you can sort of illustrate what the big chat what a, like a, a production challenge like to, to give me give me a sequence or a scene where where shooting in london was 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 more even even in back in 2016 when things were a bit easier on license front but actually the practicalities of shooting in london Okay, uh, there's one scene which is in Hackney under mm. a railway bridge, and it's a really famous area. And I forget which film. I think it was in it was in Train Spotting or Snatched. They run down some stairs, and there's under this big arch with lots of graffiti. Right. Um, and um, you know, we got permission to shoot there, but obviously, permission to shoot there means you're allowed to shoot there. And there were, you know, kind of the local drunks were just sitting around the corner screaming at each other this this very long and repetitive argument for at least four hours you know and we had and obviously we couldn't do anything about it we didn't have permission to close the street just to shoot there and so we had to start doing takes when they were when they stopped screaming at each other and started drinking you know and and obviously you know we couldn't really do we couldn't go and ask they, they were so aggressive and I think these guys were looking to kill each other, you know, that, you know, we thought if we go and ask them to be quiet, then it's just going to make things worse, you know, and we couldn't reschedule and shoot that scene any of the time. So we were just, you know, we, the conditions of being in an urban environment were really difficult. And it wasn't just these guys screaming at each other because we had trains going overhead and we had, you know, sort of traffic and we had helicopters, you know, and so trying to find, so, so all this, although this location looks great, it, from a sound point of view, it was the worst possible location you could ever be in. You know, and that's, you know, if shooting, shooting in the centre of London outside, 
that's always going to be the case unless mm. you can afford unless you can afford to close a street off, which even in 2016 wouldn't have cost 50 quid a day. <laughs> what would what would you say is uh, your, 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 wait, what, uh, what do you call it? Your, your greatest achievement in terms of what you took off the page and put onto screen with this film? Uh, I mean, I guess in in terms of overcoming logistical challenges, mm. um, there, there's one scene that takes place in a nightclub. Yeah, and we didn't want to do the usual low budget thing if you see a bar with like two people at the bar. You know, yeah. we wanted we wanted a thousand extras, and Tor, and what and Tor's big ambition was find find a nightclub that would allow us to shoot uh, while they were open on a Saturday night. You know, and I think I think Dylan, the production guy, I think he contacted probably every nightclub in London, and yeah. they refused. Um, and then we we went further and further afield, and eventually we shot in a great nightclub called Hideout in Watford. You deserve a name check, and yeah. they allowed us, you know, and they allowed us to shoot on a Saturday night uh, with the with the club open, and you know, and then the challenge becomes people deliberately jumping in front of the camera and waving and shouting "Hello, Mum," which because yeah. you know they said you know we were an open club, so you know you can't really disturb the customers, of course, and therefore and therefore I think for you know, and we used a really small kind of DSLR camera for that because we didn't want to carry, take the massive film camera around. And and so basically, we, we were the DOP was holding this small, you know, like a prosumer camera. Yeah. And we shot for probably four or five hours, and then when we came to cut, we got forty seconds of usable footage without you know people jumping in front of the camera and waving, and that, which is what we needed to say it, that worked out. No, it was a huge risk because it might not have worked, but uh, no, it came out okay. No, I look forward to seeing that because that's that. You're right. That is that is like the bane of all low budget movies is is an interior weirdly an interior shot where you want to see a natural looking crowd against the backdrop of your characters. Yeah, yeah, and in that scene, there there must have been two thousand people in the club. <laughs> yeah, Bloody hell, looks, really? You went for it then, yeah, didn't you? You really went. Yeah, for yeah, it. yeah. I mean, had we had we paid them fifty quid each, you know, an extra fee, I think that would have, <laughs> that would have doubly blown the budget on that one scene. <laughs> how do you how do you do the the, the clearance on it? Did the, did the club just put a sign on the door saying you'll be filmed this evening or something? Or uh, I, the, the club said they regularly film and and. You know, they inform their customers that you know they, they film for their own purposes. Um, with, with respect, and we shot it such that you can't really identify individual people, so we don't focus on anybody. So basically, the shots are either either we've got close-ups on the cast, yeah, or there's there's or there's kind of the the cop point of view looking towards the bad guy who's at the bar so there's a sea of people you know he and it's a bit like shooting Oxford Street you're basically just shooting the public almost but it's yeah, a, yeah 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 and so we had a sea of people all with their backs to us which is yeah. fine you know yeah. and so basically if you feature somebody then you might need a release but provided it's just like as you say you're just pushing through a crowd and you don't linger yeah then then it works well, hopefully brilliant, nobody's going to sue us <laughs> Yeah, that's not all for that. Eh? Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, just one last thing on the process. Obviously, a, 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 a film is written, produced, and then edited. So in terms of what you then arrived in the editing suite with to pull together to be your movie, how much, yep. w- in terms of coverage you had to, to edit together, 
what was was there an abundance of it? Was you did you have everything you needed like exactly, or what did you have to go back out and find some more? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's an old saying that you've probably heard, which is write the film you want, shoot the film you can, and edit the film that you've got. Um, I haven't heard that. I haven't really case, said that way. No, that's a nice one. Right. Yeah, and in this case, when we planned it, we yeah. we really we we shot we didn't shoot a lot of coverage and we really kind of planned the shots and if our planning hadn't worked we would have had problems yeah. you know and so we, we didn't have a wealth of different angles and you know there's you know we didn't sort of do what people often do which is start off with a objective wide and then a full shot and then a close-up of the same action and then decide from there what we want to cut in you know we said we'll we'll you know, we'll, we'll do an objective wide shot of this bit and then we'll do close-ups here or, we, you know. And so we kind of shot to a storyboard. Uh, okay. And if the storyboard didn't work, we'd have problems. Uh, but luckily it did. And in, and in the edit, we, well, the, the editor might think otherwise, but from, from what <laughs> I saw, from, from what I saw, it came together just as we planned. And there weren't really any problems. I mean, the, the first... The first cut, the editor put in everything, and it was, I think, two hours 20, mm. uh, which was, you know, it, it actually played all right. It was a, a little bit boring, a little bit long, and then we cut we cut it down to one hour 36, um, which okay. plays a lot nicer. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it was fine. I mean, there was only one scene, which is the very end scene, where um, kind of the, the camera sort of chases the character up, up a hospital corridor, yeah. and, and that was quite... That was quite difficult to make it have the right kinetic sort of feel to it, and and kind of the very last scene was was the only thing that gave us problems. But apart from that, it just came together really nicely. Which I guess, I guess again, due to you know quite meticulous planning and probably some luck as well. No, yeah, I, th- I think that. I mean, just you know, listening to you over there all on this, it does sound like that kind of effort put in before you pick a camera up. Is what pays off in the end, isn't it? Because that's the cheapest. Yeah, time. I think. Yeah, I think if you, if you don't have very much money at all, then you can't afford to waste it. So you need to know exactly what you're doing, as we, as we said before. So I think, especially at this budget level, planning is everything. Yeah, hoping it'll go all right isn't a plan, is it? No, <laughs> no. I think I think if you tried that, you would soon learn that it doesn't. Now, now let's around people then. So your charismata is playing at East End Film Festival on. 26th of April, and it's showing at 9pm, is that right? Uh, yes, that's right, yep. There we go. Well, look, thank you very much for your time on the podcast. Much appreciated. Ripflix.com podcast is provided totally free without any outside advertising. So if you enjoyed it, please make sure to subscribe at iTunes and write me a review. Thank you. Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support. The new Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, 
Superbeats Hard Chews Advance are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats Hard Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to radiobeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's radiobeats.com, code DEAL. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.